0: to the Calvary Chapel Naples weekly sermon podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time that we have right now. Lord, to come together and, as Dan said, to worship you in our song, Lord, in our study, in our prayer, in our fellowship. Lord, I pray that you would take this time this morning and that you would create something beautiful. Lord, that you would prepare our hearts to receive your word today, that it might Go right in, Lord, the very thing that you would have each and every one of us here today, that we would all leave today with something that you spoke to us today that will change us this week and forever forward, Lord. So we thank you, ask your blessing on it, and in your name we pray, amen. Well, you know, last week, we, we looked at, in, in Matthew, see, I'm going to start there. We looked at Matthew, uh, the chapter of Matthew, where Jesus begins to call some of his disciples, right? He went to James and John and Peter and Andrew, and he said, Follow me. And then he said to them this He said, "Um, I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to make you fishers of men. That just, I've read that a hundred times, and I just thought, that makes sense. They're fishermen, and that's a good analogy. but for some reason this time, it just was like God would not release me from the, thinking about that. And I started to think of that idea. And I, I, I forget which service I may have mentioned this at, but the idea of there's more to just that analogy of I'm going to make you fishers of men just because he was talking to fishermen. Um, there's more to that. And the idea, you know, is that fishermen, he says, you're not going to catch fish, you're going to catch men. And, and it's more. It's more than that. You see, they didn't catch fish. They would catch them. They'd throw a net, and then that net, they would draw them in. Growing up, I've known this. Like, I grew up in the church, and so I've always heard this thing, Jesus, Jesus will make you a fisher of men. In fact, there was a song, I will make you fishers of men. Thank you. One person knows the fishers of men, fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men if you follow me, right? Okay, but see, here's the thing, and this is why I got confused about the imagery because there were motions that go along with the song. Does anybody remember that? I will make you fishers of men, fishers of men, right? And so what do you do? You're using a pole and you're catching them and you're dragging them in. And the idea is like, in my mind, I thought, okay, this is what what I'm going to do with men. I'm I'm going to catch them and be like, pull them in. I'm going to reel them in. That's not the image. In fact, you know that they used a net and when they drew in the fish, where did they draw them to? Their own pockets. They weren't like catching fish and stuffing them in their pockets and their backpacks. They weren't drawing fish or they weren't drawing fish into themselves. They were drawing fish into the boat. Remember, two stories we know. There were two stories at least that we know that Jesus said, throw your net in. And when they threw them in, they caught a great haul of fish and they drew them into the boat. Now, last week I said that's got to mean something. The boat is a picture of Jesus. Jesus said, you're going to draw men in, not to yourselves, to me. You're going to draw them into me. And I thought about that, and I was thinking about it, and I realized that there is another story in the Bible that has to do with a boat being a picture of Jesus. You, maybe you're familiar. It's a pretty familiar story about a boat in the Bible. Um, it was bigger. Uh, does any, anybody remember that story? Yeah. Noah's Ark. Excellent. You guys are sharp. <laughs> There's a story in the Bible about a boat where God decided to pour out his judgment upon a wicked world, but eight were saved from judgment in the boat. Noah's Ark. Now, okay, I get it. Maybe you're sitting there and be like, Noah's Ark, isn't that just like folklore? Or, like a kid's Sunday school story. It is a kid's Sunday school story. It's a great story, but it is not just a story. Okay, so there's like archaeological evidence that shows that there was a great worldwide flood. I mean, there's like seashells and nautical fossils at the top of the Himalaya mountains. Um, There, depending on who you ask, pieces or places where they think they've found the ark. There's. uh, every major civilization that exists has some kind of flood story in their history. But even if you want to dismiss all of that, and that's okay, Jesus himself says, as it was in the days of Noah. He quotes, for, or he speaks of the days of Noah as a historical event, not a folklore or a legendary story. Jesus says, as it was in the time of Noah, so shall it be when the Son of Man returns. That's in Matthew 24. We'll get to that in many weeks from now, <laughs> clearly at the rate that we're going. So we're going to look at the story of Noah today. So if you want to turn in your Bibles over to Genesis 6, just go to 6, and I'll tell you where we're going to start once we get there. But he says, so it was or so as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the Son of Man returns. It's important. So how was it in the days of Noah? I mean, that seems like a pretty important statement. To to me, it seems like pretty important. Jesus is saying, the Son of Man is going to return when it is like it was in the days of Noah. So, well, I think that'd be pretty important for us to know, how was it in the days of Noah? What was it like? Ver, uh, chapter 6, we're going to start at verse 5. Now, I'm going to go through chunks of this, um, seven, 6, 7, 8, but not all three chapters, so you don't have to worry. This isn't going to be the longest sermon you've ever heard, I think. <laughs> I didn't time it. Chapter 6, verse 5, then the Lord saw that wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Whew, that's bad. Every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Things had gotten very, very bad at the time of Noah where he's going to look down and he's going to make some some decisions there. Well, if if we're supposed to look at that and then we're going to say, well, God, Jesus is saying as it was then, I mean, as bad as it was then, it will be that bad before the Son of Man returns so how close are we then? Are we in a time when it was as bad as it was in the time of Noah? Is it, I mean, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, he hasn't come back yet, so it hasn't gotten as wicked as it was then yet because he's still not returned. But are we close? I would say just by the nature of the way time works. We're closer closer. Is this time that we live in more wicked than times in the past? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I have a couple of friends who say, well, the Middle Ages seemed pretty wicked. I mean, it was pretty bad in the Middle Ages. Is that worse now? I mean, you know, Hitler's uh, destruction of, of the Jews and, uh, and others, that was very wicked. Is it more wicked now? You know what I think? I don't know that the wickedness is based on the acts themselves. Look at what this says in verse five again, that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. See, the thing is like, what's different now than let's say in the middle ages, in the middle ages, terrible things happened, but people didn't think it was right. They just didn't have any power to do anything about it. He had a handful of people who ruled over and were cruel and did horrible things. Now, the people weren't saying, oh, it's right that he does these things. They just didn't have any power. Now, it's not, that, uh, it's not the same now. Even so, maybe the acts are similar. The acts are wicked. But is the fact that people are accepting them as okay or good or even celebrating them. It's the wicked intent of the heart that God is talking about, not just the acts, but the intent And saying, yes, there's wickedness, but when we get to the place where the intent of our heart is wicked, when we're saying, you know what, what God says is wicked, I say is not just okay or acceptable, but it's something to be celebrated, and we are like there, we're there, it's soon, which is why this is such an important message today. verse six, he says, and the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. I want you to understand when he looks, it's not as if God looked down and said, man, this whole thing just turned bad. How did that happen? We know that can't be. God doesn't make mistakes. God knows everything. He knew this was gonna happen. He could see it, but it doesn't mean that he wasn't grieved over it. Look at right there. It says, and he was grieved in his heart. God looks down and knows what he must do, and he is grieved over it. It's interesting, the word there says, and the Lord was sorry. Um, that word uh, is a word that means um, consoled himself. It means that he consoled himself. In fact, in Genesis, where was it? Genesis 24, where, where um, Isaac's mother Sarah passes away. It says that Isaac went and took Rebecca to be his wife and then went into his tent and was consoled in his sorrow. He was consoled. Um, It's the same word. And it's almost like he was saying, I am sorry, but I am consoled in this because that I know now I'm married and I have a life. There's something better to come. And it's like God was saying, I'm sorry, I'm grieved over this, but I know there is a plan of redemption that is at play and in the works right now. And he was consoled and grieved at the same time. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Verse eight, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the first time in the Bible the word grace is used. Do you know what grace is? Grace is not what you say before you eat dinner. <laughs> Do you know where that comes from? Or it's like, we have to say grace. It's actually an ecclesiastical Latin term that means the act of giving thanks. That's why we say, say grace. But grace isn't that in this case. Grace is Unearned favor. Unearned favor it says but noah found grace and in fact in the hebrew structure of the sentence it actually says that grace found noah which is actually much more apt it wasn't like noah was like kind of walking around he was like oh hey i found grace i found grace i found it it's mine now it is grace found noah the unearned favor of god Noah. Grace, understand this, has been God's plan of redemption from the beginning. Grace isn't a New Testament invention that Jesus demonstrates. Grace was God's plan of redemption from the very beginning, from the time of Noah. It would be grace that provides a Savior. It says this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generation. Perfect in the Bible here, it means not perfect, it means blameless. And if you don't really know what blameless means in the Bible, think Teflon frying pan. Nonstick. That means that any accusation that anything cast against Noah would not stick because he was blameless because they could look at him and say, so you would say, oh, did you hear what Noah did? I heard Noah did this or said that. And you would be like, no, that's not Noah. That's not, Noah would never do that. That was Noah. It said that he walked with God. Noah had a relationship with God, even though the world around him was wicked Every thought of their heart was wicked. Noah and we're going to see his family had a relationship with God that was different. Did you know that even amongst a wicked world, you could still walk with God? (laughs) Just because the world around you is crumbling into wickedness, doesn't mean that you must follow suit. In fact, we are called to be different like Noah. We're supposed to walk with God. We're supposed to be blameless so that if someone says, oh, did you hear about Steve? What? First of all, don't do that. That's gossip. Don't do that. But if someone says, you know what? I heard about Steve. You'd be like, no, that's not the Steve I know. He would never do that. Nonstick. Nonstick. Doesn't matter what the world around us is falling into, we can still stand in our relationship with Jesus and must do it. It says, And Noah begot three sons Shem, Ham, and Japheth. It's, it's ironic to me that the people who would become the Jewish nation have a predecessor whose name is Ham. <laughs> They, they don't eat pork, you see? It's. But I do love that name, Ham. So if any of you guys, anyone expecting a grandchild or a child, you might. I know here it's a, it's a boy's name, but I'm pretty sure it could go either way. Hamlet. That's right, Hamlet, he almost went there. The earth, verse 11, also was corrupt before God. The earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way in the earth. Do you, see, do you see what that says? They made the choice, they corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms of the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. Now, around this time, maybe you're wondering why I'm talking about Noah's ark when we were in in Matthew. What I'm pointing to is the fact that in Matthew, when he says you're going to be fishers of men, remember the idea was you're going to draw people to me. Draw the fish into the boat is a picture of draw people to me, not to yourselves, but to Jesus. In Peter's letter, he also writes that Jesus is, The ark is a picture of Jesus. The ark is a picture of Jesus. So now think about these parallels as I go through this and we talk about some of these things about the ark and this is really cool because this isn't just me saying, I think the ark is kind of a picture of Jesus. Now Peter wrote this also. This is understood but wait until you hear some of the amazing things that, about this ark and about the salvation that was the, the way of salvation for Noah out of a wicked generation the saving of, from, away from God's judgment how they line up with Jesus and you and I. He says, make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover the inside with pitch. Gopher wood, most Bible scholars believe that gopher wood is what we would call cypress. Cypress, is, if you don't know, is a wood that just doesn't rot. It's incorruptible. So essentially, God says to Noah, build an ark out of an incorruptible material. This thing that's going to save you from my judgment, that you're going to go into, I want you to build it out of a wood that is incorruptible. And isn't that just exactly what we think of Jesus? It says in in the word that he is incorruptible. In fact, it says that he left uh, his incorruptibility to become corruptible man in the sense that he became flesh, but then defeated death And became then incorruptible. And that is in whom we are saved. The incorruptible vessel in which we go into to be saved. And that's exactly what he said about the ark. Make the ark out of an incorruptible material that will never pass away. And then he says, cover it inside and out with pitch. Anybody ever build a boat for anyone? One guy, Sean. All right. So Sean. When you build a boat, you know, you cover it with something to keep the water out. You make it watertight, right? God says to Noah, when you build this vessel, um, make it out of an incorruptible material, a wood that's not going to rot, and then cover it inside and out with pitch so that the water can't get in. Does that make sense? That makes sense, right? All right, here's the really cool thing. This word pitch in Hebrew doesn't mean tar or sap. Um, The word in Hebrew means a ransom paid for someone's life. A ransom paid for someone's life. That's the word pitch. They could have used another word to mean tar or sap or some other sealing agent. But when he said to Noah build this vessel out of incorruptible material and cover it with the ransom paid for someone's life. The other 70 times in the Old Testament that that word pitch is used is always translated atonement. Build a vessel of incorruptible material and cover it inside and out with atonement. God said, go in, Noah, to this. He's going to tell him eventually you're going to go into this. This is going to save you from the waters of judgment. And because of the pitch, no water will ever get to you if you're inside this vessel. How are we saved? In Christ. We're saved in Christ, made from incorruptible material, covered with atonement, so that the waters of judgment which are to come will never touch you. Oh, man, it's just the beginning. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark will be 300 cubits. It's width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. You know how big that is? Who knows what a cubit is? Yeah, it's about this long, right? 18 inches or so, unless you're really big, and then it's I guess your measurements are all off. But it's generally about 18 inches. So that means that you're talking about an arc that is 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. It's a it's 1.5 million cubic feet. More than enough room for everyone. More than enough room. Gang, that's significant that God says there's more than enough room in Christ for everyone. Whew, man. Did you know also that the ratio of the, the arc, the height, the width, the length is about seven to one? modern-day nautical engineers will tell you that the navy still builds ships to that same ratio. Do you know why? Because it's basically impossible to capsize. God says, Noah, when you go and you build this vessel, you use this incorruptible material, cover it with this pitch to keep the water out, build it to these dimensions so that no matter how wavy it gets on the outside, that thing's not going to capsize. It's not going to tip over. It's unsinkable. Man, I am glad my salvation is in the one who is unsinkable, not able to be capsized, will not tip over. Secure, I love that. You shall make a window for the ark and you shall finish it to a cubit from above and set the door of the ark in its side. Okay, here's what I see. How many doors? The door. The door. Not the doors. Not set doors. Set one door. How many ways were there into the ark, the thing that would save them from the judgment and the wrath of God? How many? One door. One way, God said. Set one way in to escape judgment. You understand that God said create a vessel that is big enough to hold everybody But only eight will go in. God didn't say make an eight-person boat or make a boat that's a little bit over the size that you need for a few. He said make it big enough so that everyone can go in. But there is just one way to go in. Jesus says, I'm the door. Jesus says, I am the one door through which you must come in. I don't know about that, Pastor. One way just one way, and come on. This isn't my idea. I like y'all. I like people. Everybody, come in, pick whatever door you want. That's what I used to believe. I used to believe that whatever door you want, you want a big door, you want a wide door, you want a round door, you want a, a revolving door. That's really what I wanted, wasn't it? I wanted one of them revived. I'm, I'm in now. Now nah, I'm, I'm, I'm out here. Now this is good. No, I really need Jesus today. I'm good now, Lord. I gotta write that down for the eleven because I just <laughs> <laughs> one door. Look, look, gang. I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry if, if you're uncomfortable with the idea that there's just one way. Um, and, and but I'm just reading what the word says. This is God's word. This is the truth. And He's saying there is one way. But amazingly, you have to grasp this. Isn't it just that He made one door. He made an entire vessel to save them. He made a way for them to be saved. And there was one way to go into it. And He said, "Here it is. Go in." You know what's interesting when you look at what it says about the ark? There was no bow. There was no stern. There was no helm and no rudder. Now, if you're not nautical, that means there was no way for Noah to steer this boat. He simply went in and went wherever God went. Went wherever God went. And see, that's the thing. It's like he was, uh, we're going to see that God says, now come on in. And Noah's like, well, here we go. We're going to go in. I'm going to trust you, Lord. And we're going to end up wherever it is you want to end up. And isn't that the way? It should be. But is that, I mean, if it were me, I still would have put at least a fake wheel on that thing so I could feel like I'm steering that thing, even though I was just going wherever God was taking me. This is how it is now. But see, Noah had to just get in there and just be like, woo, let's go, God. Shh. You know, the water's going, it's like hanging on. That's the way because God said there, there's not going to be any way for you to steer this boat, this vessel, Noah. This is to go in to save you from judgment, not for you to steer some kind of uh, trip to end up where you want to go. You'll end up where I want you to go. And verse 17 it says, Behold, I myself am bringing the floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life, everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And every living thing of all flesh you shall bring to of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. you sh- they shall be male and female, of the birds after their kind of animals, after their kind of every creeping thing of... of of the earth after its kind, two of every kind will come to you and you will keep them alive. And I mean, I mean, how tempting would it be to take those like palmetto bugs and just be like, I kind of wish, kind of wish. Again, it says, And you shall take yourself and all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it into yourself, and it shall be food, uh, be food for you and for them. And see, what, what God says to Noah is, within the ark, there will also be provision for you while you're in there. While you're in there, grace provides a savior. Grace also provides provision. Isn't that amazing? Isn't grace amazing? We should write a song about that. (laughs) Grace provides provision within salvation. It's so great that, you know, Jesus says, you know, why are you worried about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear? Why are you worried about that? Do you see these creatures? I care for them. How much more do I care for you? Will I not provide for you as well? It says twenty-two. Noah did according to all that God commanded him. So he did, and so it says, chapter seven, verse one. Then the Lord said to Noah, "Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are a righteous righteous before Me in this generation." Do you see what God says? Come into the ark. Do you get that? Come into the ark, not go into the ark. Where was God when He said that? He's in the ark. Come, if I was in, if I wanted you to go out there, I would say, go out into the children's ministry because I'm here and it's out there. But if I want you to come in here to the sanctuary, I would say, come in to the sanctuary because that is where I am. God is in the ark. He calls Noah to come in. When we go into Christ to be saved, we are not alone, He is there. He is providing salvation. He is providing uh, provision. He is with us. In fact, he says, I will be with you even until the end of the age. Oh, man. So cool. He says, you shall take with you. Seven of every clean animal, a male and a female, and two of each animal that are unclean, a male and a female. So also seven of each bird of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of all the earth. For after seven more days, I will cause it to rain on the earth, 40 days and 40 nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. And Noah did... According to all that the Lord commanded him, Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters were on the earth. The, you know, they lived a lot longer then. It was a lot longer then. Actually, many people believe because what you see is God basically, it doesn't just rain. He opens up the fountains of the earth and water comes up. He Basically, it's believed that there is a barrier around the earth at the time that was keeping the moisture out and also the UV rays. Um, so that when he opened that up to let all this water rush in, now there's an exposure to UV like they've never seen before. And you can actually track in the Bible that the lifespan of a person goes down drastically over the generations, all the way down to, well, basically they get down to like the Middle Ages where they're living to be like 40 years old. And then, you know, then we kind of, we brought it back up again. But But you can read through this account in the Old Testament up to this point, and they were living much longer. In fact... Methuselah, Methuselah was the oldest man in the Bible to ever live, and he was a direct descendant. Now I'm blanking, and it was his father or grandfather of Noah, right? But it's said that he was alive at this time, and his name means, give me a sec, when he dies, it will come. It means when he dies, it will come. That's what his name means. And so everyone was trying to, his whole life, I'm sure, keep Methuselah alive. He's like the most protected kid you'd ever seen. Because his name when he dies, it will come. And it is believed that, that Methuselah died when the rain, on the day that the, it started to rain. So it says that... Uh, um, verse seven, so Noah with his sons, his wife and his son's wives went into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Do you see Do you know what that is? That is faith. God said, Noah, I'm going to give you a vessel. You're going to go into this vessel and that is going to save you from the judgment. I am extending my grace. My grace has found you, Noah, so that you will be spared the judgment that I'm bringing upon a wicked world. There's a door. Go in. come in, actually. Come in. And Noah looks at it and goes, hmm. I believe you. I'm going to go in. Ephesians just says that we are saved by what? Grace through faith. We're saved by grace through faith. The ark was grace. Noah going in was faith. Noah could have looked at it and said, I don't know about this whole getting saved from the judgments of water in this vessel. I don't know about that. I'm not, not, you know what, Lord, I, I hear you. And I see all these animals going in two by two. I'm not going in there. Besides the smell alone would probably kill me and he could have not gone in, what would have happened to Noah had he not gone in? He would have perished. He would have perished had he not exercised faith in the grace that God was giving him. It is the same, gang, for you and I. Jesus says, I am going to save you by grace through faith. But if you say, yeah, but I don't buy it, I don't believe this whole Jesus died on the cross for me and forgave me of my sins. I don't believe that. I think I can work my way. I think I can, I can be a good person and I can do good things and I can help old ladies across the street um, and, and feed the homeless. And, and I, you know, I go to church you know, at Easter mostly and Christmas sometimes, um, but I think I can work my way. And he says, you're not entering into my grace. There's one door. There's one way. It is Jesus. Noah had faith in the grace that God was extending him and He went into the ark. And then let's skip all the way down to verse 16. So that they entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. God said, make a door. There's one way in. That's the way you go in. Go in. And Noah said, I believe you. I believe this is the way to escape judgment. I believe this is the way to be saved. The word saved means rescued by the way. And he went in and God shut the door. You want to know something really interesting? That phrase, shut him in, in Hebrew, it means delivered him. It means delivered him. Noah went into the ark, the vessel of his salvation, and as soon as he made that decision to go in by faith, God delivered him. It just started to rain. God delivered him. He shut the door. God shut the door. God sealed the door. Noah didn't then climb down the side and paint pitch all along the edges of the door. God closed the door. God sealed Noah. In. You know what's interesting? That when I hear that, I'd be like, oh, Noah was in. He could not fall out of the ark. Noah could not fall out of the ark. He might stumble around inside, but he was not going to fall out of God's grace. I heard uh, someone say, if you are saved by grace, you're kept by grace. Grace. Noah wasn't going to fall out of grace. God had sealed that door closed. Remember in Ephesians, we read this. Ephesians 1, uh, verse 13, it says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You were sealed. When you enter into Christ, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You can't fall out You can't be snatched out. Too many people are walking around in the ark, I believe, worrying about having to make sure that the seams aren't leaking and doing the work and saying, if I'm not about the work of this, I'm going to lose it. I'm going to fall out. I'm going to be cast out. There's nothing in here that says that Noah's job was to go and make. All he had to do was keep the animals alive. He didn't have to make sure that the seams stayed sealed up to keep the judgment water out. didn't have to constantly work at it. Some of you that were thinking that you constantly have to work in order to stay in God's grace. You cannot fall out of grace. Noah was sealed in. We are sealed. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, it says that you are sealed with the Holy Spirit waiting, it says, for the day of redemption. That means like in, the, in a nautical town like Ephesians, they would have a package that was the possession of the master that had a seal on it, and everybody would see that seal and be like, well, we can't, we can't touch it. We can't open it. We can't do anything with it. But when it arrives at its destination, the master will come and see the seal and claim it as his own. That's the day of redemption. So then it goes on here. Uh, And you can read this on your own, all the things that happened and it floated around for many days and the rain stopped, but it still floated around. But where I want to get to is this, chapter 8, verse 4, chapter 8, verse 4, it says, then the ark, now this is after, you know, it's floated around and the waters have begun to recede a little bit. And it says, then the ark rested in the seventh month, the 17th day of the month on the mountains of Ararat, that's pretty specific, don't you think, as you're reading along? It's you know, like, God is very specific. The ark is this size. There's going to be this many animals. You're going to do this. But this is very specific. The ark rested on the seventh month, the 17th day of the month, on the Mount of Ararat. The ark, the, the, uh, Noah's salvation from the flood. Oh, excuse me. That's a different note. After bearing the waters of God's judgment and saving Noah and his family, the ark comes to rest. On the 17th day of the seventh month. The 17th day of the seventh month was the very day that Jesus walked out of the tomb after being resurrected from from death. After bearing God's judgment on humanity's sin, making a way for you and I to be saved. Same day. Same day. You need to get on the boat, gang. If you're not already on the ark, you need to get on the ark. And there's one way, but the door's still open. The door's still open to that ark. You need to get on. And the way you do that is you say, I believe that I'm a sinner, that Jesus Christ died for my sins. And he says, and that's it. You believe that I died for your sins. You admit that you're a sinner, that you need a savior, that Jesus is it. And he says, you will be on the boat. Please. Do you know what it says in the days of, so as it was in the days of Noah, so it shall be the days of men. You know what the next verse is? You know what they were doing? This is what Jesus says. You know what they were doing? They were eating, they were drinking, they were getting married, they were going to work, um, and they did not know anything until it started to rain. What he was saying to them is that you do not know when that last chance to get onto the ark is. They missed it, they were just going about their every day, of course, you know every thought wicked, but going about their day just like any other day, and it was done, just like that. And Jesus says, it will be the same for you all. It'll be the same for us that we'll be going about our day just like anything. You'll be driving to work or going to school or going shopping or going to Culver's. <laughs> just like that. You know, can you imagine you just like, you know, like you just wait all month. All month I've been really good. Just so good. I haven't had any junk food. I'm going to Culver's today. And you just get that butter burger and you're just like, and all of a sudden the trumpet blasts and you're like, whew. Better feast coming. Whew. And as much as I do like Culver's, I'm, I'm okay with that trade. I'm okay with that. But it will be like that. There will be no, like, someone coming, like, are you sure you don't want to accept Jesus as your Lord Savior because we're just about to go? It's going to be like this, like that. Blink of an eye. Blink of an eye. Whew, man. Now, if you're here and you're on the boat already, We've already looked at this. You're not saved by good works. You're saved unto good works. That means that he has prepared things for you that he would like you to do. And look at chapter 9, verse 1. So God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. What does that mean to a New Testament saint? Do you know what the Great Commission is? Do you know in Matthew chapter 28, go therefore, he says this to his disciples. Now he's already been resurrected from the dead. He's on his way to go to the Father. And he says, Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Same thing. He says, Noah, now go and, and repopulate or be fruitful and populate, reproduce yourself, he says. Jesus says the same thing. Go now and reproduce yourself. Bring a, draw people into the boat. Bring people to Jesus. You do not save people. I do not save people. That happens by God. It's God's grace. It's not mine. But we draw them in. He says that also in Acts 1.8. This is uh, Jesus speaking to them right before he's gone. He says, but you shall receive power, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Same message that he gave Noah. Same message. Noah, you weren't saved by this, but this is what I'd like you to do. Guys, we're not saved by works or by merit or by anything that we can do. We're saved by grace. Then God says, now go out and, and reproduce yourself, draw people to me. Amen? Look at that, one minute left. Let's all just stare at each other. No, let's pray instead. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this message this morning. Oh, I'm so grateful for grace and this understanding of grace. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord, thank you for making a way for me to be saved from the judgment that is on its way, Lord. I thank you that you made a way for everyone, that there's plenty of room, there's room for everyone in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that they would come. Lord, use me to draw people into the boat, to bring people to you. Lord, as you said to Noah, go out and be fruitful and multiply. Lord, let it also be on our hearts to do the same, to go out and share the gospel, to duplicate our, replicate ourselves uh, as Christians, as believers, as those who have been saved by grace. Lord, thank you, Jesus. I pray right now that if there's anyone here who, who, who hasn't done that, Lord, who hasn't hasn't accepted the truth that Jesus died for them to be their savior, Lord, that this, these words today would just stick with them all day, Lord, that they wouldn't be able to shake this feeling that there's something to this, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just not be, not relent, Lord, oh, I Just and, and Lord, that they would pray even on their own, Lord, forgive me, for I'm a sinful person, Lord, be my savior, Lord, and thank you. Jesus, thank making it that easy. Lord, I just love you so much. And in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.